Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just say I'm, I'm deeply indebted to, to Neil Stewart for a number of the insights I'll be sharing with you this morning from this great psalm. Let us give attention as we listen to, to God's holy and inerrant word this morning. This is a psalm of David. We read, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray, if we may. Lord, we thank you so much as we come this morning. We thank you for the word that you have given to us. Father, we, we read in, in the Psalms that the law, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. O oh Lord, as we come this morning, we pray that we would give attention to your word, that we might benefit, Lord, in these things, but even more so, God, that your name may be glorified. We ask this for your, in your name that we might have ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, last week and this week, we are looking at different psalms of thanksgiving as we come to the Thanksgiving season. Not that this needs to be the only time that we give thanks to the Lord. Uh, that is the call of the Christian all the time, to give thanks to Him. But last week we looked at Psalm 136. And kids, do you remember what that psalm was about? His steadfast love endures forever, right? And remember, as we read that responsibly, where I would read part and then you guys would echo and you kids would say, His steadfast love endures forever. 
And I saw it on your face by the time we got to the 26th time that we said that, like, Pastor Rick, we've said this a lot. I think the Lord wants us to get that in our minds, though, that that's uh, His steadfast love endures forever. And so He continued to repeat that. Well, this week I want us to look at another psalm, Psalm 138, which is a psalm of thanksgiving in the midst of the problems of our lives, in the midst of the difficulties and the trials and just even what it live, means to live in a fallen world. And, and we, we see that in this psalm, especially as you look at verse uh, 7, we see that David was in the midst of troubles in his life. We read, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemy. So David's in trouble. And we don't know exactly what that trouble was or what the circumstances were that he was going to. But we see from this that there was a bunch of angry, wrathful enemies who were out to get him. And though he is in trouble, though he called out to the Lord. And verse 3 tells us, that the Lord heard him. On that, the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. And so David found himself weak in his soul. So he called upon the Lord, and God gave David the strength that he needed. And so he has had some help from God. But I want you to understand that as we read this psalm, that David is still far away from being out of trouble, that he is still in the tension of the enemies pursuing him. He, his difficulties are not yet over. And so David is in the midst of his circumstances, and he is looking forward through his circumstances by faith, trusting that God will fulfill his promises. So David's still in the midst of that trouble. He's between what God says he would do and waiting for God to fulfill his purpose for his life. As he says in verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And I know that you know all too well that it is in those points in your life where you are tempted to question whether God will abandon you as you were in the midst of those difficulties. You know that God is true. You know that his promises are true. But still, it can be, for us, right, a nervous faith, sort of a sense in which we believe God, but we're, we're, we're struggling, and you're, we're even questioning, will God forsake me? Will every promise that he makes come true, or will I be left alone? It's in those times that we know, like David, that our only hope is that God remains with us, that he is present with us, and he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. It's his rod and his staff that comfort me. And so the psalm, although it's written in the midst of trouble, is a psalm of thanksgiving and gratitude. And so David is grateful in this moment and sings uh, from it and for it. He says, I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart in verse 1. That's how he starts this psalm. He's in great difficulty. But the first thing he says is, I thank the Lord. So David doesn't merely thank God from part of his heart. He doesn't say, Lord, I thank you for this over here that's going well, but this over here that's not going so well, I don't thank you from that part of my life. But instead, it says, I thank him with my whole heart, even in the midst of the trouble he is currently enduring. And so David is wholeheartedly grateful to God in his circumstances. And that says a lot about David and the God that he worships. 
it sort of made me think of Corey Tamboon. Many of you know who she is. She and her family would hide the Jews during Nazi-occupied Germany to protect them. But eventually, they were caught and they were put in the concentration camps. And Corey was in the barracks with her sister Betsy. And uh, you know, it was a difficult time for them. But they were able actually to sort of smuggle in a Bible that they had that they could read. And Betsy was reading from the Bible one day, and she was reading about how the Bible says that we are to be thankful to the Lord. We are to be grateful at all times and all things. And that was particularly difficult for Corey at that time because they had an infestation of fleas in their barracks. And so they were scratching, they couldn't sleep. It was, circumstances were very difficult. And so Corey was wrestling with being thankful. But Betsy commented, she said, you know, she said, I know it's difficult, Corey, but she said the thing that's so amazing about this is because of the fleas, the guards won't come mess with us as female prisoners. And not only that, they won't even come back here to our barracks because the fleas are so bad. So we can freely read the word of God and we can pray. That's the perspective of the maturing Christian to be grateful at all times in all things. So to be a disciple, a child of God, is not to be a fair weather friend. We don't, we don't uh, love and give thanks to God only when he removes all the troubles from our lives. We have a reason to sing and to give thanks to him, even in the darkest times or the most difficult moments of our lives and our existence. And so that sort of begs the question for, for all of us this morning. I know I was very challenged by this as I read this this week. But it sort of begs the question for you and me. Are we grateful souls? Are we grateful to the Lord in all things in our lives? Are, are you the, the kind of person who gives thanks to God habitually? Are, are you the kind of person who gives thanks to God regularly? Are, are you thankful to the Lord in sunshine and in storm? In both those things. Well, I want us to look at this psalm this morning with me. And I want us to see, first of all, David's attitude of gratitude. Okay? His attitude of gratitude in verses 1 through 3. Okay? I want us to see the way that David expresses his gratitude. First of all, we see that he expresses his gratitude in, uh, in personally. Uh, notice what he says in verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord. With my whole heart, I give you thanks, O Lord. David's sense of gratitude is not just sort of some vague sense of gratitude, of trying to be positive. You know, we hear people talk about today, you need to have a positive way of thinking that helps you, your health and your mindset and, and everything. And that wasn't what David was doing. He, you know, uh, sometimes even on Thanksgiving, we can sort of have this nebulous general sense of, well, I'm thankful for my life. But David was thankful to the Lord. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord. And so there was that sense of personal, uh, a gratitude that is personal. But he also has a, a gratitude that is total or complete, uh, which I just mentioned a few minutes ago. He says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. David's whole heart is exploding with thankfulness to God. Uh, David doesn't reserve even a little part of his heart for grumbling or whining. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to praise the Lord for all of this, but this here, this i got to grumble about, or this I have to complain because God's let me down. 
That's not what he does. David gives over his life to thanksgiving, even though his life is given over to trouble. And then he has a, a, a gratitude that is very confrontational. A gratitude that's very confrontational. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, that word gods there, uh, it can be translated in a lot of different ways. It could mean actually the secular authority. Sometimes uh, the Psalms use this Hebrew word in that way to, to talk about the, the pagan secular rulers of the earth. Uh, some people translate this angels. Uh, but I think the ESV is correct when it says before the gods, like the false gods. Uh, and it sort of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when they were told that they had to bow down before this statue of Nebuchadnezzar, this false idol, this false god, this idol. And they said, you know, we would rather die in the fiery furnace than to forsake our god. And there was a sense in which they proclaimed before the gods who the true and the living God was. And, and that seems to be what the psalmist is talking about here. I think we have to ask ourselves, though, how often, though, do we bow down before our functional gods? You know, we don't have little idols or statues in our house, but we have all kinds of gods in our culture. Prosperity, uh, power, pleasure, popularity. And we look to these things, these gods, to offer us so much in our lives and to meet our needs. And every time we bow our knee to the God of sex, we turn away from the God of heaven. Every time we bow down to the God of the almighty dollar, we turn from the God of heaven. When, when we treat these gods as if they really were the secret of our happiness and the source of our joy, and we give thanks to them as an act, we are, give, we are giving to them uh, uh, our worship and our thanksgiving. And we are saying, in essence, that God is inadequate. That God is not able to not only supply our needs, but God's love is not complete for us. And He is inadequate, or He is not good, and He's not willing. Maybe He's able, but He's not good, like maybe Adam and Eve struggled with in the garden. And uh, David says to this, no, that is not the case for him. I give thanks to the Lord before the gods. I sing your praise. It's as if David says to these false gods, you mean nothing to me. You give nothing to me. Only the true and the living God is the one that I look to. Only in him do I find my pleasure. And that's a powerful motivation, brothers and sisters, for us as we stand in the way of temptation when some false god is offering something to you. But if God has given you everything at the cost of a son for which you can be thankful, then what do these false gods have to offer us but bondage and pain? That bondage and that pain. So it's a question of gratitude. Are you going to be thankful to the God of, of sex or reputation or you fill in the blank of what God it might be? Or are you going to bow down to these false gods or to the living God? who has given you everything in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's part of what we come to celebrate this morning as we come to the table to see that God has given us everything in His Son. And so Thanksgiving is personal, it's total, it's confrontational, but it's also, this may be an odd way to put it, it's institutional too as well. Look at verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name. 
You see, the temple was the center of Israel's worship. It was there, uh, it was a place of revelation where God's word would be read, where God's word would be expounded upon. It was a place of relationship where God dwells with his people. And I know oftentimes when we think of uh, God dwelling with us, we think of God in our hearts, right? You know, that, that God uh, lives within us through the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That's true. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within, with, excuse me, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And Paul was saying that to each and every Christian at Corinth. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's also a sense in which the church, the people of God, is also the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit as well. Just a couple chapters before this, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Paul writes to the church, Do you not know that you, and, he's, and that word there, you, is plural. So it's like y'all. Okay, do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Now, kids, how many of you here like to build Legos, right? All right, I, I think we got a lot of Lego lovers here in this congregation, okay? And uh, maybe you have built a Lego Star Wars New Hope Imperial Star Destroyer. Or if you haven't <laughs> built a Star Destroyer, maybe you thought, man, I'd really love to do that. But my parents won't buy that for me. But you have a bunch of little pieces if you buy that kit, right? I looked it up online, kids, and there's 4,784 pieces. Okay, so we're talking about a pretty impressive set. But when you put all those pieces together, something much larger happens, right? Something much stronger, something more powerful than each one of those little pieces. Those little pieces by themselves, yeah, they have some strength. But together as a Star Destroyer, they have massive uh, uh, capabilities, right? And that's somewhat what it's like in the church. Individual Christians are amazing things as the Holy Spirit lives in them. We are living stones as, as Matt prayed this morning. But as God puts us together as living stones, connects us, as we gather this morning in worship, God dwells with us. Do you think about that? God dwells with us. Something amazing happens as God dwells with his people. And so the temple was a place of revelation. It was a place of relationship. The temple is also a place of redemption where sacrifices were being offered on behalf of the people. And God in his holiness entered into covenant relationship with his people. Notice the language he uses there. His steadfast love. Remember we talked about that last week. The chesed. The steadfast, the covenant love. It was an oath that God made with us because of his love for us. And he provides a way for his people to enter into his presence through the priests and the sacrifice. And, and likewise, we enter into God's presence, even this morning, through the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only the high priest, but he's also the perfect sacrifice. And uh, it is through him that our sins are taken care of once and for all. And we can come into the Holy of Holies and worship the Lord. But you know, too often uh, we seek to approach God sort of measuring ourselves with our own yardstick, right? 
We come and we sort of take our own yardstick of righteousness and we hold it up. And then we hold it up compared to other people. And we say, see, they don't measure up. See, I'm just the right size, right? Well, God destroys those yardsticks. He takes us and he shows us that we have no worth in his sight in and of ourselves. That uh, instead he shows us his great mercy. Oh, he shows us his great mercy. And so David has this attitude of gratitude as he bows down before the temple, just cognizant of what God has done for him, and it stirs his heart. And so we see that attitude of gratitude in this psalm, but second of all, I want us to see the reasons for this gratitude that we have. Uh, First of all, uh, David's gratitude flows from the character of God. Uh, We see that in verse 2. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love. Like I said, we talked about this steadfast love last week, this covenant love. But God's heart is warm towards his people because he loves them. Why? I don't know. But he does. He has set his love upon us. And because he loves us, he enters into covenant with us. David recounts this, brothers and sisters, In the face of his trials. It's not like he's standing before God and saying, God, what are you doing? Instead, he said, it is God's steadfast love. It is his covenant love that is keeping me even in the midst of my trials as my enemies continue to surround me. You see, David doesn't derive his theology from his circumstances. He doesn't say my circumstances are hard and so my God is hard. He doesn't say that. He says the hardness of his circumstances doesn't chill down the warmth of the love of God for him. David knows that God's loving kindness is still for him and towards him, even in the midst of his trouble, because God's heart is warm towards him. But second of all, in verse 2, we see that God's actions are consistent. Uh, I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You see, God is, is faithful. He's not only steadfast, but he's faithful. Another way to translate that word is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. We can depend upon him. Now, how many of you, uh, when you go outside... You walk outside on the ground and you're very careful about where you walk on the ground because you're afraid that the ground is going to give way and you are going to plummet to the core of the earth and be incinerated by the heat of the core of the earth. Probably not many of us, right, have that fear whenever we walk out of church or walk out of your house. We feel pretty confident that the ground is trustworthy. That the ground is faithful. Now, I do know there's sinkholes, so you know you might drop a little bit, uh, so it's not completely trustworthy, but the psalmist wants us to know that our God is trustworthy, that our God is faithful, unchanging consistency. He is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone you can trust who will never let you down. And how important that is, brothers and sisters, as we are facing the ups and downs of life, as we are being uh, surrounded by trouble, by those that we think could overwhelm us, to know that our God is consistently faithful and trustworthy. So God, whose heart is warm and whose actions are consistent, also we see that, that God's word is true. 
God is not only true to his people, but to his word as well. I give thanks to your name, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now, that's not the greatest translation in the ESV, the end there. Um, uh, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Actually, literally in the Hebrew, it says you have exalted above all your name your word. In other words, you've exalted your word above your name. That is, above your character. Now, what happens is, from what I read, many translators really wrestle with that because they're like, well, God's word is his word. It's, it's, it's who he is. He's expressing his being. So to say that his word is above his character, his name, yeah, that just doesn't make sense. And so, um, so, you know, you can add actually just like one little letter to this phrase and it changes the name, uh, changes the meaning to say, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Okay, but the, but the text says you have exalted above all your name your word. This says a lot about God's word. It, it says a lot about how he views it. You know, in the, in the New Testament, the Word of God is not just some idea about God. It's not just expressing who God is. I mean, we even read in the New Testament, to be honest with you, that, that the Word is, is not just an idea, but it's actually a person. In the beginning, what was the Word? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So God's Word is highly exalted. So when you have the Word of God in your hand, you have a treasure in your hand. It's a book and truth that is exalted above all things. God's Word is as great as Himself, and He takes His Word seriously. And, and He uses language that uh, you might consider um, exaggerated in this text to explain that kind of exaltation. I think that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's exaggerating the point for us to see how much God exalts his word. But God does this to show that he takes his word seriously, and we ought to do the same thing this morning. But do we? Do we? Do you take seriously his promises this morning? Do you find them trustworthy, that you can take those things to the bank, even as you are in the midst of the difficulties and the troubles of your life? Do you rest on them, knowing that they are spoken by God, who is warm-hearted and consistent in his actions and true to his word. The psalmist goes on to say there's one other thing about God that we see here, that God's help is available. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increase. You see, brothers and sisters, when we go through spiritual struggles, natural strength is not enough. Our physical abilities, our, our, our intellect, all those things are inadequate to, to face the spiritual struggles that we go through. David needed the kind of strength that only God could give. And David receives that strength from God in response to prayer. He says, on the day I called. In other words, right away the Lord gave him strength. Actually, that, that last phrase in verse 3 it should be interpreted literally, it's this. You made me bold in my soul with strength. You made me bold in my soul with strength. The Lord gave him strength. You know, too often when we come to God in prayer, we want God to change our circumstances, 
when in reality what really needs changing is us. We don't need God to change our situation. We need God to change us so that we're able to meet our circumstances. That's what we need. We need the Lord to give us strength. We need the Lord to give us boldness. And that's what God does. And it, just read throughout the Psalms, as you see, over and over. God doesn't always remove his people from those difficult times, but he gives them strength. And he does so right away uh, in those times. We may not feel strong, but as we trust his promises, he gives us strength. Here again, as we watch Richard Wormbrandt's story last night, the men saw the, the torture. It was horrible. It was a it's an awful movie in that regards to see how Christians were suffering. And, and, you know, as we discussed it, you know, there was a number of people who said, I could never go through that. Well, we couldn't. We can. Naturally, we can't do that. But supernaturally, the Lord can give us strength. And God will do so. He will not always take away your trial, but he will always give you strength to meet those trials in a way that's good and honest and true. As a good soldier uh, uh, who is fighting the fight, God will give you the strength you need. And so David is grateful to God, and he gives thanks to the Lord, even though he goes through these difficult things because of the character of God. But he also gives thanks because the way men experience God as well. Uh, David gives thanks for the way that men experience God here upon this earth. And he speaks of three different men. Great men in verses 4 and 5. Weak men in verse 6. And this man in verse 7. So he refers to himself. Uh, just very quickly, the great men. It says, All the kings of the earth shall give thanks to you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. You see, David says, one day the secret will be out and people will all over the world will be giving thanks to God. They will see you for who you are. And Lord, if that's true, then why should we not praise you now? Because even the great men, the great kings of the earth will, will, will see you for who you are. And then he goes on in verse 6 to talk about the weak men. And he says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. You see, God's ways of distinctively dealing with men according to their character is just amazing, if you think about it. I'm totally backwards from the way that the world does it, right? Uh, he says, the haughty man. Kids, that means the proud person, the person who thinks a lot of themselves. God holds at arm's length. In other words, he's not close to them. The blessing of God is oftentimes expressed in the scriptures about being close to us, being with us, being present. And here he's saying, I won't be with you. Uh, and then he says, the lowly man, that is the humble man, uh, is a man who sees himself before the face of God and knows that he is nothing. This is the kind of man he's, or person he's talking about. And it says that God regards that man. He looks down with a long, tender gaze upon uh, what the world would consider the little people of the earth. I mean, we look at people that we would consider giants in the faith, like Calvin and Luther, Knox, Zwingli, others like that. And we say, what great men. But the world looked at these guys as if they were fools. And so here the world is, 
exalting the men who are proud and who are arrogant. Even in the church we see that. You know, we are, we are so hungry for leadership that we will follow someone who is arrogant and haughty and proud if they'll give us leadership. But that's not who God blesses. God is far from that person. And he instead calls for the lowly. The lowly are able to see themselves with just enough sense to know how little they truly are. And the way God views people gives David's heart joy because David knows that he's one of those lowly people. He knows that he is one who is not worthy of, of God's uh, relationship. You know, sometimes we may feel distant from God. And, and one of the reasons may be that we are full of pride and arrogance. You know, that's not the only reason, but that could be one of the reasons that we're really full of ourselves. Just this week, I received an email from a Christian organization. It's actually a Christian counseling organization called ACBC. And they had a podcast that was entitled The Sin of Murmuring. Kids, murmuring is complaining. You ever complain about something? That's what it was talking about, the sin of complaining. And this is a quote from that podcast. It says, when we set too high of a price upon ourselves, in other words, when we think too much of ourselves, when, when everything is about us, you know, when we're the focus and the center of everything and about whether we're happy or not, okay, he says, when we set too high a price upon ourselves, we are going to struggle with a measure of discontent which invariably will lead to grumbling. In other words, if I'm the focus of everything, if my desires and my wishes and my pleasure is what is the focus of my life, then I will grumble and I will complain. Because in a fallen world, things just won't go the way I want it to go. It won't. And it'll so frustrate me. And I'll be griping and complaining because of that. And maybe our struggle with life and all that we encounter in this life may be God's way of showing us how proud we are. We, we may not see the way that we treat others, our, our wife or our kids or our siblings or our friends and how full of ourselves we are. But consider the way, you know, we oftentimes do look down upon others. Maybe the words that we use that puts others down and exalts ourselves. Or maybe the way we see everyone else's faults, but we don't see our own faults. You know, and you may wonder, Lord, what are you doing in my life? And it may be he is dealing with our pride. What does Peter say, or James say, uh, James 4.10, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. James 4.10. And then just a couple of verses before that in verse 6. He said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so he wants us to see ourselves for who we truly are. Not to think more highly of ourselves, but to see ourselves as lowly. And, and David then describes himself in verses 7 and 8 uh, as that lowly man. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. You see, God doesn't keep me from my enemies, but he does keep me in the midst of my enemies. In the midst of the troubles of life. God doesn't keep us from the troubles or the difficulties or the trials of life, but he does keep us in the midst of those things. 
John Calvin says, this faith's true office to see life in the midst of death and to trust the mercy of God, not as that which will procure us universal exemption from evil, but as that which will quicken us in the midst of death every moment of our lives. For God humbles his children under various trials that his defense of them may be more remarkable and that he may show himself to be their deliverer as well as their preserver. Now, I know it's hard when you read a long quote like that. You're like, what would you just say, Pastor Rick? But, but basically what, what Calvin is saying is that faith doesn't uh, mean that we, will be, that we will be able to bypass our trials. It doesn't mean if we have faith in the Lord, then all of a sudden God will change everything and life will become good. Sometimes Christians forget that. Sometimes we get confused and the Lord doesn't change our circumstances. And we're going, God, but I'm having faith in you. Why haven't you changed things? Well, having faith in God doesn't mean we get, a, we get a bypass all the difficulties we go through. But what it does mean, it does call God down in the midst of our troubles. Where we experience his presence and he walks with us. So it's, it's like the fog. If, you're, if you consider the troubles of your life, this fog, it's not like I have faith and then all of a sudden this uh, you know, angelic fan starts and blows away all the mist of the troubles of your life. And now you can see clearly, instead of what it means, that trouble is there, but God is present with you. And God walks with you through that trial. And God walks with you through that, those difficulties and that mist. And God keeps us safe all the way home. Look at verse 8. It says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You see, God has not yet closed the story of your life. And, and as you look at your life right now where you are, you must do so through the lens of faith. And as you do look at that, you can see the end of where God is taking you. That doesn't mean you'll know all the circumstances and the paths and everything that the Lord will take you. But you do know, as it says in verse 8, that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And brothers and sisters, you can rest in that. You can say, I don't know what the path is, but I know what the destination is. And I can trust the Lord. Sort of is, uh, echoes Philippians chapter 1. You know, verse 3, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need to hold on to that, brothers and sisters, as we are in the midst of the difficulties and the trials that we live. Are you ever led though sometimes in the midst of those troubles to be despaired to be discouraged to be depressed you, as you look at your life you see so much weakness maybe as you look in your own heart you see much wickedness that you wish wasn't there and the work seems half done actually maybe for some of us this is how I feel maybe the work's 10% done maybe on a good day maybe 10% done and, and you wonder if it will ever be finished. And Paul says he will complete the work that he has begun in you. 
Well, last week in, in this, we were reminded that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And brothers and sisters, we have to understand that sometimes this is a lesson that we can only learn in the midst of the troubles and the trials of life. You will never know the steadfast love of the Lord until you have been wounded deeply, until you have walked through the valley of the, the shadow of death, as you've gone through those difficulties of life, then you truly come to know the steadfast, faithful love of the Lord that endures forever. Where everything is falling apart around you, but inside of you and beneath you, there is this ballast of God's never-failing love that you experience in your life day in and day out. So kids, do you know what happens to a boat when it doesn't have ballast, when it doesn't have enough weight at the bottom of the boat, it tips over, right? It capsizes. It turns over. And, and here, David is in the midst of the trials, and he, he has the ballast of the love of God beneath him. The stubborn, enduring love of God will, that will not let him go and gives him ballast and enables him to float in the midst of trials. And, and one of the signs that the ballast is there in a person's life, in a Christian's life, is this gratitude of attitude. Or excuse me, this attitude of gratitude. Uh, gratitude says a lot about who we are and, and about what we think and know of our God. And we also see the reasons of a grateful heart. And so I ask you this morning, do you have the ballast of God in your soul? Is he holding you right side up? Because when you are navigating the ocean, you need more weight beneath the water than above it. And likewise, for the Christian going through trials, you need more weight beneath you than above you to keep you right side up. The only thing big enough and good enough to keep you right side up in the troubles of life is the knowledge of God. The God you know whose heart is warm, who's consistent, whose word is true, who is available, a God that you can hold onto through prayer, knowing that he hears you and he answers you. And that is exactly the God you have in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So no matter what you're going through today, I encourage you to turn to him to cry out to Him, to stand firm, even giving Him praise in the midst of your difficulty. And so let us resolve by God's grace that we will be thankful in the midst of our troubles. And it may be that the trials you're going through are huge. Maybe you feel like nobody else understands what you're going through. And the reality is maybe no one else does understand what you're going through. But maybe your trials are much smaller than that. Maybe your trials are more irritating and more difficult and and the Lord is dealing with you in certain ways. But as we look to Him, let us do so being reminded of His steadfast love. That we might praise Him forever. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we come to the Lord and meditate upon His Word this morning.
Oh Lord, once again, we give praise and thanks to you that you have spoken to us through your word this morning. We thank you, God, that you are so faithful uh, to your people, that you show your covenant love, uh, that you have given us all things in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, Father, that even in the midst of the difficulties and trials, the troubles that we are going through, that you are there with us. And Father, I just pray for those that especially that are going through deep, deep, dark waters today. Lord, those maybe who came this morning just feeling so discouraged and weighted down. We pray, oh Lord, uh, that they would be reminded of who you are. Your great love for them. Father, while they may not feel worthy, Lord, I pray that you would just remind them it doesn't depend upon us. But it's because of your covenant love, your steadfast love. So Lord, help us to rest in this this morning. Help us to delight. May this fuel our fire this week, even as we gather with others to celebrate Thanksgiving and to give thanks to you, O oh God, for, for who you are and for the way that you deal with men. Oh, we praise you, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.